0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's our first episode since Penn State returned to the practice field for preseason camp. That got underway last Friday. We had an opportunity to get on the field in Beaver Stadium on Saturday for Penn State Media Day, an outstanding event that featured just dozens of Penn State football players, several coaches involved as well. And additionally, later that day on Saturday, we got into Penn State practice for about 20 minutes, a couple of different periods during that practice. Uh, An enlightening day overall was Saturday. Mark Brennan was there on the field. Mark Brennan is with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast, longtime Penn State beat reporter. Of course, you know him from our coverage on Lions 24-7 with Fight on State. No Sean Fitz this episode. You may be asking why. I'll tell you this, he is banged up, and stealing a phrase from James Franklin, we do not discuss injuries on the podcast unless they're season-ending. He is back from vacation. He's not back on the podcast. Stay tuned. The beard will make his return. But we get to it with Mark Brennan. Mark, always nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks for stepping up for Mr. Fitz.
1: Yeah, it's uh, great to be here, and obviously his season is not over. That's the key thing. There are some seasons that are that are over, which is uh, too bad. But, Tyler, the, the thing that was cool this weekend for me – it occurred to me that, you know, I hadn't been on the field for a Penn State practice since Christmas Day of 2019 prior to the uh, Cotton Bowl, you know, Penn State down at uh, at and Stadium. So to get back out there uh, was really cool. And then to have the in- in-person interactions with the players at Media Day, uh, y- boy, y- y- you don't realize how much you miss doing. You know, we-, we both love our jobs, but a key part of that is the interactions. mm mm-hmm. And not having that for so long, and I know a lot of people have gone through much worse things than that, but just from our professional perspective, to be able to get back and doing that stuff in person, uh, very, very cool. Really enjoyed it, and uh, I thought it was very productive as well.
0: And for a lot of these players, uh, Mark, the last time we had access to them, they were not yet starters. They were not yet contributors. They were maybe coming to the end of their true freshman year uh, in the Cotton Bowl down in Dallas. So we weren't really gravitating toward them in that locker room down in Dallas. This is a different story. It's two years later and uh, two rosters later. And there's a lot to catch up on with this Penn State roster. We'll start at the top. You mentioned this uh, season-ending injury. That looks to be the case for Adiza Isaac. James Franklin would not quite go that far, but he said likely will not be available for the season. Isaac, of course, uh, a defensive end, year number three for him, uh, has come to campus and made tremendous physical strides, burned a redshirt his freshman year in 2019 as a backup defensive end, remained a backup last year when they had two all Big Ten uh, defensive ends in, in Odafe O.A. And, and, of course, Shaka Tony, both of them now on NFL, Rob. We've circled defensive end as a concern or at least a position where you need new names to step up with Adiza Isaac now out indefinitely. You know, that becomes even more apparent.
1: Yeah, I mean, this. I think most of us were looking at this as a breakout season for Adisa because if you look at his numbers testing wise, you know, he's one of those guys who who fits into that freak type category. He was fortunate enough the last couple of years to be able to play behind some you know, very very talented uh, athletes. I mean, Etor a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, and obviously the two All Big Ten picks last year. Uh, Penn State also loses Shane Simmons. Uh, you know, he was a he wasn't a, a star player last year, but he was a key backup for them. So this is an area w- where it hurts, and they are going to need some guys who have not produced at Penn State uh, to to really step up. You know, the one guy I, I think everybody's looking at AK, the transfer from from Temple, but one guy that I'm We've we've heard a lot about him this offseason. People talking him up, up is Nick Tarburton, and he's been injured to this point. It would be kind of a fitting irony if this is his opportunity to step up and really do some things.
0: And looking at that uh, depth chart, what it was last year at defensive end, you have now f- effectively wiped away your two deep w- with Simmons, yeah. Isaac, uh, Tony, and away not available for you for one reason or the other right now. And Tarburton all of a sudden goes from uh, you know, hey, this could be a nice story. To hey, this needs to be a nice story for this to work out for the Penn State defense. You've got Wisconsin on the road week one. Uh, Sean and I have discussed a lot at length on what that is going to require in the trenches to come home from Madison with the victory. Got an SEC opponent coming up a couple of weeks later into Beaver Stadium. So you want to be stout up front. And, and and we're going to talk about some of the the moving pieces at defensive end in just a moment, but. How about just moving pieces across the roster? Because that was another headliner from our discussions with the coaching staff on Saturday. A lot of guys who we are familiar with seeing on the field for Penn State that you may have to get accustomed to seeing elsewhere. We'll start with Jesse Lucchetta. I had the first question of this James Franklin press conference, and that's right where I went because it was a bit of a cliffhanger coming out of spring practice. He wasn't available physically because of an injury. We saw him in a sling at one point in in March, I believe. Um, And and then Franklin said, hey, we're we're talking about using Jesse elsewhere and maybe not just linebacker. Turns out that is indeed the plan. He's going to get the bulk of his work during preseason camp, Mark, over at defensive end. That's not to say the bulk of his work on the field this season will be there, but Brent Pry stressing the importance of him feeling comfortable at linebacker because that's been his life at Penn State. But needing to catch up and balance that out, playing defensive end. Um, it is a spot right now for Luqueta, right around 250 pounds, six foot three, that he told me on Saturday. It's been discussed about, bounced around this idea of him contributing in that role, really dating back to his recruitment, which, if you remember Jesse coming out of Mercier's prep in Erie, Pennsylvania, an all state linebacker, yes, but you saw the physique and you saw maybe some of the restrictions on Jesse and some of the things that he did well and thought, could this project? Up to the defensive front, it's gonna need to right now for Penn State. I, I don't think there's any way around it in saying that Jesse Luqueta, a guy who certainly took some flack last year for his play at Will linebacker, and he had the unenviable position uh, situation of stepping right. up and replacing Micah Parsons at the last second, but He's a name you're going to really need to see involved in a and a few different raids. It sounds like linebackers still going to be a part of that plan. It's important to Jesse, but I just don't know how you get around without working him in up front just because of the lack of of scholarships. And this guy's played in a lot of Big Ten games.
1: Yeah, and I think the way the dominoes kind of fell at linebacker, you know, made this a, kind of a no brainer for for the coaching staff with Brandon Smith moving to that. Will Curtis Jacobs stepping up as the likely starter at the Sam. And Ellis Brooks is a guy that isn't really big enough to, no. to to move anywhere else. You know, this reminds me a lot of the uh, the mid two thousands uh, when they were absolutely loaded at linebacker. And uh, you know, Sean Lee comes around and they have to find a spot for him. So what do they do? They take they stick Tim Shaw, who was a good linebacker for them. You know, use him as kind of a stand up defensive end. So this isn't something that's that's completely new. Other teams have done this. Penn State has done it in the past and i think for lucetta you know he's always been a bigger kid uh he kind of was overshadowed not kind of he was overshadowed by micah parsons from that same class his good buddy and best roommates yeah yeah all that stuff but You know he's always been in that 250-pound range, and I think that made it difficult for him to be that linebacker who's able to drop into coverage. That really just wasn't his thing, and I think that made it difficult for him. So get him down there and and allow him to do some of that stuff. I think you knock on wood and hope that they stay healthy at linebacker. Uh, They like their depth there, but I think you want those guys who have played a lot of football, especially played a lot last year, to, to be able to handle those top three spots and get him down there and help in an
0: area where now, obviously, with Isaac out, uh, you're really going to need him. Yeah, probably likes, likes a guy like Tyler Elsden, who's made a lot of strides here in his second year. Uh, Charlie Catch here right now is healthy. That hasn't always been the case with him. Kobe King came in as a freshman, impressed with his maturity. Not quite as much as his brother Kalen, but he had a strong spring. We'll see if that carries over. Still think it's it's dicey. You are kind of walking on eggshells when you work your way down that linebacker depth chart. Um, there's some walk-on guys that may need to factor in. But when you look at Lucchetta's move, that's one that, that we had anticipated for some time this offseason. Another that has been telegraphed. If you have seen Keaton Ellis in person and you have fellow State College uh, resident Keaton Ellis walking around at times and he does not look like a cornerback anymore. I know that Brent Price says they feel comfortable that if they need him at cornerback again in 2021, he'll be ready to do that. But he's working at free safety and he certainly looks the part.
1: They list him at 5'11 190, and I, just, no I don't way. believe it. There's no you way know, he's I, under 200 pounds. Yeah, I, I don't believe it. And you know, I know, you know, Tyler, you living here in the state college area as well, we've had a chance to watch Keaton from the time he was in high school and to see the way that he's kind of filled out. I think he was uh, a buck
0: buck 62 when I saw him his junior year, is the number he gave me right after he committed to Penn State. I think he was about 162 at that stage.
1: Yeah, and I think earlier that, that summer when he ran that unbelievable 40 at Penn State camp, he was in the 150s. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's kind of come into his own and I think you look at what they have at coming back at cornerback and and to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously you have Castro fields, uh, we kind of know what he's all about. Uh, Joey Porter jr. To me, looks like a guy who has emerged as their top cornerback. And we could talk about that a little bit later, uh, going back to what some of the things we saw at practice, uh, Kalen King, uh, Marquise uh, Wilson, you know, all these people, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Well, somebody, oh, by but, the
0: way, they brought in two power five transfers, John Dixon from South Carolina, yeah. A.J. Litton from Florida State. It is arguably the deepest room on this roster right now.
1: And if you look at what Keaton Ellis has done the last couple of years, you know, he's been a guy who uh, hasn't been outstanding in coverage. But he's been really good in run support. He's mm-hmm. created fumbles, uh, gets up there and isn't afraid to stick his nose in and hit. And we saw that going back to high school. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to, to, to give you a little bit more depth at those safety spots. I mean, they're, they're really good in the secondary. You know, we talk about maybe a lack of depth at linebacker. But you, know, but you look back in that secondary, and this is as deep as I can remember them being uh, in a, quite a while.
0: You got to figure out that starting spot next to Brisker at safety. We'll talk about the defensive backfield a little bit later as well after coming off the practice field. But, But Mark, going back to that cornerback room, Marquise Wilson is going to stay in that group. He is, according to Brent Bryan, according to Marquise himself, still working at wide receiver in some capacity, going to factor into offensive plans. Very curious what that looks like. We haven't really seen much, at least in my time of covering the team of a guy who was, you know, expected to be a part of the game plan on both sides of the ball on potentially a weekly basis. Micah Parsons would have loved that, but it didn't even happen for the All-Americans. So Wilson was quick to remind me, Mark, that he was an all-state wide receiver up in Connecticut. But Connecticut football is a little bit different than the Big Ten. I said it during spring ball. Marquise Wilson is one of those guys on this team that I point to and say, He catches eight, nine passes for you during the season. You may really remember three or four of them because he is incredibly shifty in space. He has the ability to get upfield. We saw them trying to work him uh, into space with some screen attempts during the Beaver Stadium scrimmages this April. It's a storyline I'm curious about, but for now, it seems like we need to keep our focus on Marquise Wilson in the defensive backfield. And based on what we saw at practice, he has not lost those ball skills. Remember, him and Keaton Ellis burned red shirts in 2019 on the way to the Cotton Bowl. They played a lot in that Cotton Bowl. And then last year, turned into a really strange year for a lot of guys in that cornerback room with some injuries and otherwise. But Wilson remains a name to know there.
1: Yeah, and I think you could also see him involved in special teams. I mean, depending yeah. on what they want to do with Dotson, you know, i, I Listen, Dotson, unbelievable punt returner last year. You know, one of the best Penn State's had in a long time. But do you want to subject him uh, to to that? And not that Marquise Wilson is expendable or anything like that. But if he's not seeing a ton of playing time, maybe that's an area where you could use him. And I also think the fact that they're keeping him at both spots, Tyler, probably speaks to the fact that, um, you know, despite what Yursich may have said, I think they're probably feeling more comfortable with their depth at wide receiver that you don't necessarily need him to be there full time. And I'm guessing some of the younger guys like, uh, you know, like Doughton, uh like Lambert Smith, Liam Clifford, uh, maybe yeah, Liam Clifford. And, I you know, don't forget about Cam Sullivan Brown. I know, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've been saying that a lot over the last couple of years. But from everything we heard before he got bumped up last year, he was doing really well. Um, so Daniel George is still there. I mean, so there are a lot of people there behind Dotson and Washington that I don't think you need to have Wilson there full time.
0: Elsewhere in the defensive backfield, another guy who's played a lot of football for Penn State. Two-time special teams captain, uh, potentially a third-time special teams captain here. Number zero, Jonathan Sutherland. Getting work at Sam Linebacker. This is a spot that, beyond Curtis Jacobs, you do have some questions about. Charlie catchier is cross-trained at Linebacker. His availability has been hit and miss during his career since enrolling in 2018. Um, I think this is interesting. Sean and I had talked before about both Jair Brown. And Jonathan Sutherland kind of having that physicality, um, maybe being inclined to be able to step on up and contribute at Sam if called upon. I don't know what this means for Jonathan Sutherland's attempt to go win a starting safety job in his fifth year on campus. I've had my concerns about that, what he can do in pass coverage, and, and it's particularly against teams that can run out some really impressive pass weapons. Yeah. Can he handle that? Because Let's face it, Mark, few things in college football and football in general will break your back like poor play at the safety position. Jonathan Sutherland, rave reviews as a teammate, uh, as a locker room guy, as an accountable guy who, who's going to know where he needs to be. But does he have the entire package for where Penn State wants to go to fill that role? I don't know, but I am intrigued about him stepping up a level. Love what Curtis Jacobs is going to do up Sam, I think. But uh, this this makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and I also think you have to remember that, uh, I, given the depth they have in the secondary, and given the lack of experience they have at linebacker behind, uh, you know, your top three or four guys. I think we're going to see a lot of out of Brent Pry. We're going to see a lot of star, you know, a lot of that those nickel dimes and multiple defensive back type things. And that's where a Jonathan Sutherland, you know, fits in. I mean, let, let's not make any mistakes here. I don't think, you know, knock on wood, barring, you know, a, a series of injuries that he's going to be any sort of starting linebacker. But he could be a very, very effective coming up off the bench in some of those specialty packages and kind of playing the role of a linebacker if that makes sense. You know, you get him in there on obvious passing downs and whereas he may may have struggled uh, at times in the past uh, in the past against the pass if I can spit that out, he he'll probably be more effective than a, a, a prototypical linebacker against the pass if that all makes sense. So I think be, being able to move guys around like that and you know Keaton Ellis is another guy that I don't think they would have any problem whatsoever moving him up near the line of scrimmage in those specialty packages. He's big enough to do it, he's tough enough to do it. so they have some nice mix and match options uh, options there and I think that's that's where Sutherland that's kind of going to kind of be his niche this year.
0: Yeah, we're on the same page there. And I think when you look at also what the cornerback room may be able to contribute in slot coverage, you're looking at some defensive backs being close to the line of scrimmage and Brent Pry, the goal needs to be to get your 11 best out there. Uh, I know yep. there's been, been some qualms about guys, maybe being out of position. Brandon Smith seems like he is in the right position. Now Curtis Jacobs has been lauded by Brent Pry as maybe the prototype of what he wants for the Sam linebacker. A lot of praise for those two five-star linebackers. If they're in the right spot and they're operating well, That's going to open up a lot of things for the rest of the defense. But let's go back to the defensive front because some movement here. Two guys in different directions, maybe a bit of a surprise here. There's the press conferences. There's the the on-the-record stuff, all that happens on media day. And then there's the other conversations that happen. You come away, you put the notes together, you compare them. We come away from this thinking that Amin Vanover, listed at defensive tackle, now full-time at defensive end. And then Hakeem Beeman, now under 260 pounds, a guy who that we've always talked about being a versatile component, could be inside, could be outside. They're leaning more toward him staying at defensive tackle. This was not really the expected outcome as the team returned to the practice field.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to see how it all plays out because That's right. it's That's one right. thing. Sometimes we hear something in the spring, you know, even on the record, and uh, something changes by the time the first couple of days of, of camp hit and who knows what went on. And I'm not uh, casting aspersions or anything like that, but a lot of things go into it that maybe coaches aren't willing to open up about. But I think both of those guys are going to have to play key roles on this defensive line, wherever you, you find them. I'm not necessarily saying starting roles, but both are flexible and, ver- and versatile enough. And I think it also goes back Tyler to when we talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, playing some of those specialty packages, you know, They did it last year and I think you're going to see it more this year where they go with some three man, uh, you know, three man fronts. And that's where having guys who can kind of play both of those positions, you know, come into play. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think we were both a little surprised that there wasn't more talk about Hakeem Beeman and, uh, you know, from the defensive coaches at media day.
0: I'll tell you what, you're coming out of that media day and you're probably thinking about, I mean, over as a stock up guy uh, and just the way that, that people were talking about him, his potential involvement. He's in year two. It's hard to figure out what freshman actually gained from last year on the field just because of what 2020 was. But he comes out of this uh, six foot four, 265 pounds in that range. Uh, and and, you know, and this is a guy who is clearly going to be a component of what they want to accomplish at defensive end where they're just aren't a ton of names to go down a list. So you've got to factor in a mean van over who else is that defensive end? Well, we got our first chance to speak with him in a Penn state uniform, Arnold Ebikade. You're going to hear him referred to as AK a lot. And you understand why that, that last name takes, takes a while to get down, but he is someone who understands the, the onus for him and the challenge that Penn state coaches have repeatedly stressed is we love the speed off the edge. You can clearly disrupt the quarterback. You can disrupt the pocket. You can create some things, but what can you do against a team that's going to run the ball 40 to 50 times a game and, and chew up clock and churn out yards? And Wisconsin comes to mind, don't they? That, that week one opponent, Kade says he gets it. Uh, he's an all AAC player at Temple making a leap to the Big Ten. There's a lot of buzz right now for him that has continued. Uh, I I don't want to say it's unfair to him, because but he is a newcomer to this Nittany Lions squad, and I just feel like there is a lot on this young fellow's shoulders right off the bat because of what has gone on at his position.
1: Yeah, we both had a chance to talk to him. Number one, I mean, what a intelligent, you know, he just really carries himself extremely well, and you could see why he's a he was a good fit coming over uh, from Temple, uh, just really – You know, he said to me that when he got to Penn State, it was like he was embraced by the players. And you could kind of see why he's kind of an outgoing guy. Uh, But with respect to him, what his role is going to be, I mean, he completely understands that with Adisa Isaac out, you know, they now they need him. They need him to step up and be a Big Ten player this year. And, you know, can he do that at 6'3 and under 260 pounds? that it obviously getting to the quarterback is, as you mentioned, is, is, is something that he does and he did it very well at Temple last year, but how is he going to hold up against the run? So, so we're going to see, I think the, the, the positive is, and we I'm sure we get to this a little bit later is that when you look at Penn state's offensive line, now they have two very good, very big offensive tackles. Mm-hmm. So if he's going up against these guys in practice every day, that is very, very good. You know, you, you know, you're talking about uh, in Walker and Wallace, guys who are you know 320 whatever pounds and who are athletic for their size. So to be able to face those guys every day, I think is is big for a guy like AK. And by the way, I asked him. I said, "What do you prefer to be called, Arnold or AK?" He goes, "Yeah, you could call me AK." <laughs> well, we
0: appreciate that, Arnold. Uh, and w- when we talk about this position, and 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 there's a lot of guys who. you're you're not, you're not going to see that stout physique. I mean, I was face to face with Nick Tarburton who had a glorious training camp mustache on and he is like beaming. You can tell how happy he is to be healthy and trending toward playing a huge role for this team at defensive end. And they're going to need it. As we said, uh, but he's another guy who's you know under that 260 pound mark. Someone who you look at and say, okay, that looks like a guy who can play a Big Ten defensive end is Smith Vilbert. I mean, he was jumping off the practice field in terms of an eyeball test, and I want to go through the eyeball test with you a little bit later on other guys who who just popped off, seeing the yeah. ads. But Smith Vilbert, as a, as a third year uh, player now at six foot six pushing 270 pounds. I think that the phrasing that Brent Pry used was he's no longer a basketball player playing football. He is a football player. And I think, look out for this guy. I, I think he's someone to watch on the two deep. And depending on how it goes, when he gets his feet wet, maybe he's a dark horse breakout kind of guy off the edge.
1: Yeah, I agree. One quick thing on Tarburton, uh, you know, even though he's not the biggest guy, I don't think physical play is going to be his issue. Oh, no, he I, loves g- it. He, yeah, he gets after it physically. I think he's kind of the opposite of AK where doing some of those other things may be more of a challenge for him. But, you know, knock on wood for, for Nick because he's a oh, good yeah. guy and let's let's just hope he stays healthy. But yeah, in terms of Smith-Vilbert. I think the one difficult thing about last year and the depth that they had a defensive end is we didn't get to see a lot of some of these younger defensive ends. You know, ideally, you would love to have Vilbert coming in here with, you know, having played more, you know, last season, and he just didn't have the opportunity to do it. So now, again, you you know, one guy's difficulties and your heart goes out for Adisa Isaac, uh, it opens the door. That's what it's like at these programs. Now, all of a sudden, time to step up. You know, and Smith Vilbert is going to have that opportunity.
0: Uh, Zariah Fisher, another name to know, another converted linebacker to know at that defensive end spot. Um, Interestingly enough, Tarburton was quick to take him under his wing when he made that move this winter from linebacker to defensive end. Playing linebacker meant a lot to Zariah Fisher. I was reminded of that when I spoke with him on Saturday. He he cut a lot of weight from his high school senior year uh, to the point when he enrolled at Penn State because he wanted to take it very seriously that he could stay at the second level and he had what it would take to do it at Penn State. Mother, Mother Nature wins out, though, uh, just like with Nick Tarburden, became pretty clear that that his highest ceiling was going to be up front. Uh, he's a, embraced that move. And I think when you talk to guys in that group, you talk to some of the coaches, I don't want to throw Zariah Fisher into the mix and say he's going to be an impact player in September. But as the season goes on, he's one of those names in the roster just to see how many snaps is he getting per game, what kind of a flash is he be doing? Because I think he has all the pieces, and he's where. Yeah, I think he's pushing 260s, maybe past 260 right now. I forget. He's right in that range, but to me, he is physically ready to do it. Fundamentally, that's where the question is right now, and he's got a few weeks where it's it's going to be stockpiling education through uh, you know this this preseason camp, and then trying to put it into action when he gets his chance on the field.
1: Yeah, they have him listed at 6'3, 260. And yeah, he is put together, man. I mean, he is, you know, he's not a massive, he's not one of these, you know, towering guys like like Vilbert, who you were mentioning. Uh, but he doesn't he, he he's listed at 260, he's put together but you would wonder if he's really that heavy. I'm not questioning that, but I'm just saying by by looking at him, uh, he looks like he could even, you
0: know, get a little bit bigger I mean he's like I think he's like a 275 pound guy when he's playing his best football at the college level I could see that being the case
1: yeah and and so I think going back to what you were saying Tyler we're in the early stages of him being an impact player so I think he's the guy that you can get in there for you know 10 snaps you know 15 snaps a game maybe and work him along realizing that his upside is going to be a couple years from now but uh, you know, making that transition from from uh, high school linebacker to DN, not always easy, but he has the physical tools to do it.
0: Some other names at defensive end on the younger front, Rodney McGraw, another massive guy out there in the practice field. Uh, I saw him standing right alongside Smith Filbert. I'm telling you, if the sun was out, they could have blocked it. Bryce Mastella, Davon Townley, they have work to do. Townley in particular, he was, you know, in the back of that defensive end line, like you'd expect a newly arrived true freshman. Yeah. He does not look like a Big Ten defensive end right now, kind of File his name away. We'll see where the four star prospect ends up down the road. But that's kind of the thing there. There, There's not some true freshman like a Caitlin Kent cornerback who's ready to come in and like save the day for you and step up and play a huge role here. It's a lot about these guys who have transitioned from other positions or second, third, fourth year players who you're saying now's the time. A lot of concern at defensive end, but also a lot to work with. And this is one that John Scott Jr., Deion Barnes, you know, they're in the laboratory right now. And I'm very curious to see what they come up with, along with Brent Pry and James Franklin going into that Wisconsin matchup, because that is a unique matchup on the road against the style of offense that the Badgers typically would like to play.
1: Yeah, Mostel is still listed at uh, 229, by the way, and he looks at 229. But, you know, maybe that's one of those cases where, you know, better to add the weight more methodically than try to pile it on very quickly. And maybe he's one of these guys who it takes a few years, but it ultimately, you know, ends up as one of those 255 pounders. But yeah, I don't think you want to add it too quickly unless it comes naturally like it did with a guy like Fisher.
0: There are some of the headlines. We had to talk about defensive end with the Isaac injury. Uh, We had to talk about these position moves because we've been waiting to discover what exactly that was going to look like for some of these players. When we come back after this break, we're going to do a bit of a position by position look. Not every position, but some takeaways at quarterback, running back, where are guys on the offensive line? What else is going on in the defensive backfield? Uh, We will bring out the eyeball test as well with some of what we saw at practice. Uh, And we got a five-star mailback to finish out the show. So stay with us here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
2: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master new skill.
0: Our conversation continues here on the Lions 24 7 podcast as we work our way through the early stages of Penn State preseason camp again on Saturday. Mark and I attended practice. We got in there for a couple early periods. And, Mark, just to reiterate, it's been a long time since we just stood on the same field as a lot of these Penn State guys. Several of them, the last time I saw them in person, they were playing high school football or they were at high school camps. So things have come a long way. Uh, it, surprise, surprise, since December 2019. We'll get to the eyeball second in a moment, but let's start at quarterback because let's face it. It's a surprise we didn't start this podcast at quarterback. We start a lot of them at the position Still no clarity on number two. Uh, we had a chance to speak with Taekwon Roberson. That was indeed his first media session since that Cotton Bowl availability in the locker room. The spotlight is much different on Roberson at this stage. Technically still a freshman from eligibility terms, but he's in year three on campus. Plus, he was an early enrollee back in January of 2019, which to me, Mark, I don't know. I get a little bit of a red flag just the over and over again. Yursich continues to kind of pair him with Veyu and it's a different boat like Veyu just got to campus he didn't play as a senior in high school because of COVID so he's up home in Canada preparing to get here I mean Roberson's been on campus since January 2019 he was at the Cotton Bowl he traveled with the team throughout that experience he was on the roster all last year as your number three quarterback and there's no game reps there I get it but I just don't think it makes a lot of sense, and and, and I'm, I don't want to put words in your sister's mouth, but the the approach has been whenever I've asked or whenever anyone's asked, there's a, a lumping up of everybody that's not Sean Clifford, and to me that's just a bit concerning because Taquan Roberson has been a round campus, been in that quarterback room.
1: Well, I'll play devil's advocate, sure, go and for it. just say from a coaching perspective, the last thing you want want to do is is make it seem as if somebody has a job you know, absolutely locked down. Now, listen, with Clifford, who who are we kidding? I mean, no, nobody's going to be, you know, I think Franklin has, James Franklin has kind of said, yeah, you know, all the positions are up for grabs, but I mean, everybody knows realistically you have one guy who's been two-year starter, two-year captain, uh, you know, he's going to be the starting quarterback again, knock on wood barring injury, but behind him, I don't know that it would make sense to say that Roberson is the clear-cut number two guy because I think you want him working. Now, if it really is that close, then maybe it is, you know, is cause for concern, but that's going to be the cool thing about these next, you know, however many practices we're able to see before the season. From what we could tell, and I don't think I'm violating any rules, it, it looked like Roberson was working with a number two offensive line in a little bit that we saw, only a little bit. We didn't see a whole heck of a lot, but from what we could tell, It looked like he was working with the second team line. So that's step one from the first practice we were at. We'll continue to, to pay attention while we're at practice. So let's see where that goes. I just, uh, I'm playing devil's advocate from your such perspective. Yeah. I think you want to keep him motivated.
0: I understand it. And I, I get it. And we even heard from special teams coordinator, Joe Lorig. you know, when asked about Jordan Stout and he's and, and you know, no one has a job. And, and that's what every coach wants to be able to tell you here at the start of August to get their guys competitive and, and get everybody chomping at the bit to see where they end up on the depth chart. I understand that. But with Roberson, you know, you're watching this group out there and it's just such a small group and you've got four guys. I mean, you got Sean Clifford out there, and it feels like Sean Clifford's a GA almost because he's been around so long. He's almost like helping coach out there. He's leading these drills. And then to your point, whenever these guys lined up, let's just put it that way. Whenever they lined up on the field and went through drills, it was Sean Clifford. Then it was Roberson. Then it was Christian Veyu, who's the freshman enrolled in January. And then it was Mason Stahl, who's a walk-on. Now, my understanding is Evan Clark will will join this room as a walk-on later in the year. Evan Clark ain't helping you out in 2021 at quarterback. I know people make fun of me because I'm a bit higher on him for a walk on quarterback. I know he's not helping you out this year. It's a small group, and I think that's just startling to see. And speaking with Roberson on the field, kind of like he was in high school, he's a soft-spoken guy. He didn't let me lead him down that path of really talking about the QB2 conversation. Um, I think to me it's just while you do want guys competing – It's just been interesting to to see how Roberson does get lumped with Veiu. It's not a slight against Veiu, who I think is talented. It's just kids got a long way to go. I know the ball flies out of his hand, but in terms of seeing live bullets, I don't know. Roberson may be needed. It could happen soon. It, It could happen later in the year. But the track record shows us here the last few years, Penn State, whether it's injury, whether it's your game plan, whether it's performance based, they have turned to a QB two each of the last three seasons. Tommy Stevens, Will Levis, uh, you know, Sean Clifford at one time when he was operating and Stevens wasn't available as the QB two, he'd got some time. You didn't see Roberson play last year, even when you're, you know, you're, you're pounding Illinois in the second half of the game in December, you didn't see Roberson get some considerable action, throw some passes and that kind of thing. So, Look, it's, it's something that won't be answered right now, won't be answered all of August. We'll get a depth chart eventually. I think Roberson's going to be that number two. Who knows when we see him take a rep? I, I guess if you can have this season start out the way you want it to start out if you're Penn State, you may not see Roberson involved until that Villanova game late in September. No one who listens to the show, no one who's hosting the show is going to say, Sean Clifford's definitely one of the top one, two, three quarterbacks in this conference. There's no doubt about it. He's got work to do. And if he can't make that kind of a, a stride forward... I just don't know who else they can turn to and and you know forget about injuries playing a role here it's been repetitive during the offseason me talking about this QB2 spot um I shouldn't be surprised that there's not really a lot more clarity on it but um, your I, I head just, is your head
1: is going to explode. If that first depth comes out and there's It's or. Roberson or,
0: or <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I don't think I'll be alone either. And and Hey, maybe that says a lot about the young kid. Maybe that says a lot about the young kid <laughs> to me though, Roberson's in year three, Michael Johnson has left campus. They enrolled together Will Levis has left campus. He enrolled the year prior. Micah Bowens has left campus. He enrolled the year after it's not all Roberson's doing, but because of what has gone on in that quarterback room, he is one of the guys in this roster I've been watching closest, and we haven't had a chance to speak with him. That happened on Saturday. I appreciate that, but didn't walk away feeling like I had a grasp on necessarily what his role is with this team. And I, and I guess that's just a little scary because, again, there's only four bodies out there taking reps at quarterback, and three of them are on scholarship.
1: Yeah, and one other quick thing, and this isn't to to pile on value, but he had a little bit of a minor off the field issue too yeah. that you thought could have got him in the doghouse. And listen, and listen, and I just want to be clear. I it was to me that was a completely, you know, minor, not a, not a big deal, but you know, in the past we we've, we've seen where things like that have gotten mm-hmm. guys in a little bit of a doghouse. So I'm not I, I I I want to say that kind of in your defense that that was another thing that, you know, maybe it would have been made sense to just say, hey, listen, yeah, Roberson's the guy now. So I'm, I'm playing both ends of this, Tyler. I'm just having fun watching you struggle yeah. with the whole concept. I'll
0: well, say this. I'll say this. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say this. Um, after that off-field incident, which again, I'm with you, it, it's nothing to, to send Veyu home over. But after that, I spoke with Yursich, I think within a week or two. And I asked about that KUBI too. And I really thought maybe he would be ready right. just just because of that circumstance. And he wasn't, and he's not now, and that's his right, and we'll find out. And for all we know, everybody in that facility knows that Taequann Roberson is the number two quarterback I'm not sure. And Taequann Roberson certainly didn't tell me that he was, and neither did Mike Yurcich. Uh, so, so we'll we'll table that conversation. Quarterback's going to get talked about a ton uh, in, in the next few weeks, and, and we'll see what happens when the season gets underway. But uh, Mark, elsewhere in the backfield, the depth is so much better at running back. It is wow. just – it's an abundance. Uh, it's in a luxury situation. John Lovett said it himself – uh, there was a lot. <laughs> there was a lot more co- uh, running back rooms in the college football that he could have potentially joined that would not have required as much of a competition as this will. And, and John Lovett is loving it though. He's loving working under J1 Sider and Noah Kane. Sider says all the way back. That's where we'll start here because Noah Kane looks the part. Mark, we've now seen him for three different years on campus. I've I think I started talking to him as freshman year of high school. So four, five, six, seven years of knowing this kid. And he looks like he is ready to just be an absolute force. You look at the, the, some of the video we've seen of him working out. Slater says he's all the way back mentally, physically. John Lovett says Noah Kane carries himself like a fifth-year senior. I mean, he's checking off every box. I keep saying, and I keep – I mean, I, this has been my mantra. Don't forget about Kevon Lee. No matter what else is going on in the running back room, don't forget what Kevon Lee could be this year but Noah Cain for my money remains the front runner and coming out of Saturday, I feel even better about it that he will end up if healthy. And that's a big if in his career right now, he will lead this Penn state backfield in touches.
1: Yeah. We didn't have much of a chance to talk to Noah, uh, prior to uh, media day, I think he was on one zoom last year before he was banged up, mm-hmm. but he was kind of reserved and not carrying himself with all, you know, a ton of confidence just in talking to us. And just, I don't, I know you talked to him. We talked to him at different times of media day. Uh, I was there right when he started talking, boy, is he carrying himself? Like, uh, you know, a guy who knows he feels as if he's, if not the man, one of the men, uh, at running back just uh projecting this air of confidence so on top of the, the things you're saying when you look at him physically you know when we talk about eyeball tests you know between him and lee it's like whoa these are two mm. big backs who can really get it done uh, but it's nice to see that he's he didn't let the situation last year where he was hurt on the third play of this uh, his third play and missed the entire season you know, didn't get down on himself and really attacked his uh, rehab with a vengeance. And now here he is going into this season, you know, looks like he's going to be as good as ever. You know, again, I keep saying knock on wood because, you know, we're we're supposed to be unbiased. But when it comes to injuries, I root. I'm a fan of all players for all teams staying as healthy as possible.
0: Right, you look at what Noah Cain did his freshman year. A couple 100 yard games. He he helped them punctuate a win on the road at Iowa. That was very important in the early stages of that Big Ten schedule. He uh, kept he Journey
1: and, Brown on the bench. He kept yeah, Journey Brown on the bench,
0: and then Journey Brown <laughs> happened, right? And, and, right? and so, and I have to imagine. And Noah Cain has known Kevon Lee for a long time. They actually played against each other uh, when Cain was down at IMG Academy, and. He says watching Keevon Lee last year and, and then where he has taken it this offseason has been really exciting for him. It has pushed everybody in the room. We, we've talked about Keevon Lee really upgrading his speed. I talked about him not playing as a high school senior. So kind of the raw attributes that were on display at running back for him last year, getting more comfortable and now having a full offseason to work within under Sider, learning from a guy like Kane still really excited. You know, you wonder what the launch pad could look like for, for Kevon Lee, John Lovett, of course, didn't come here for, for, to just hang around on the sideline. He's trying to make the most of his extra NCAA eligibility. He was a leading rusher at Baylor for three different years. He was the leading rusher at Baylor when they went to the big 12 title game a couple of years ago. So that's a lot of experience. Devin Ford has tasted some success at the power five level. Cause Holmes, Holmes, last time we saw him had almost hundred total yards against Illinois, a couple touchdowns in that matchup, his first score. So there are five guys in this room on scholarship at running back who have experienced at the power five level were four-star recruits based on 24, seven sports assessment coming out of high school. And there's one football. Now, Mike Yersh says three running backs per game, pretty standard one way or another three running backs involved. He says sometimes four makes sense too. J one slider has, Kind of, you know, gone down this path before. Remember the rotation? It was at times perplexing early in in 2019 before Noah Kane emerged and eventually Journey Brown emerged. You had Ricky Slade involved, you had Devin Ford involved heavily. To me, Ford and Kaziah Holmes are absolute wild cards. Um, Kaziah Holmes finished strong last year, but I'm not sure what he is as a running back prospect. I'm curious about him right now. And I know he was recruited by cider at Florida as a wide receiver early in high school. And, you know, what is he right now as a big 10 running back? That remains to be seen. Devin Ford, you know, he was absent for three of the last four games during that win streak last year. Um, And when he did play consistently, he just didn't flash in a way that we anticipated he would coming out of North Stafford high school, a couple of years. So it starts with the excitement about Kane and Lee, but you work your way down and every single guy in this group in their own right has a compelling storyline. And this is probably something I'm as interested about as anything with this football team going into week one, who is playing running back and how quickly does the second running back get in? How quickly does the third running back get in? And will we see a fourth running back? And at any point, does it feel like the rotation is forced Or is it working well where everyone's comfortable with their roles? Because I felt like early in 2019, there were some moments where it felt forced and you didn't quite understand if it was as effective as it maybe could have been for that running back group.
1: Yeah, Big Ten Media Days. uh, I asked James Franklin about how many running backs can you realistically play? And he basically said the same thing that Yursich did at Media Day, Uh, you know, that that three is the ideal number. But I think that's where. You know, using guys in the kick return game. You know, uh, elsewhere on special teams is going to come into play. But we need only look back to last year, Tyler. When mm-hmm. you know the beginning of the year, would you have ever thought we were going to see that much of uh, of Lee and Holmes? You know, at, you know that first game. You're you're looking at uh, the two freshmen from the previous year, uh, along with Journey Brown, figuring they're going to be the guys. And before you know it. Uh, it wasn't the first game. I'm sorry. It would have been going into camp. That's who you would have thought it was because obviously uh, you know, we found out about Journey during camp. So you need that depth. But what, what a blessing. And I think that it, it also hits on the unbelievable job they have done recruiting at that position. I mean, it is just incredible, and it and it and it doesn't stop.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the uh, way, it, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton are due next year. Both of them considered yeah. top ten running backs in twenty four seven Sports twenty two class ranking. So kudos to Javon Sider. But once they all get together in your room, you got to figure out what to do with them, and that's that's the goal right now.
1: But what about the character of a guy like Lovett, willing mm-hmm. to walk into that? I mean, to me. That says a lot for a guy that, you know, a lot of these guys, they they go out who are, you know, grad transfers or, you know, transfers. They go out hunting for a spot where there's no depth, you know, where, where it's, where they know that they could step in and play immediately. And for this kid to say, you know what, I'm going to go and test myself, not only in the big 10, but at a program that probably is as loaded at running back as anybody in the nation. I think that speaks a lot to his character and just, the initial feel you get is that he's been a really good addition to that room. Uh, And I think that's one thing James Franklin has said when it's, when it comes to transfers, you know, you just don't go out to get somebody you want to get somebody who's going to, you know, be a potential contributor, but also a good mesh. And I think that looks like a good room, doesn't it? I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like the, uh, the camaraderie and whatnot, even though there's the competition, it looks like those guys all now we're not in that room. We don't know. But it looks like with all that talent, they all get along really well. And, you know, Cider to me, emerging, I don't even know if emerging is the right word, but the job he's done with that position and on the recruiting trail has been pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, Slider, year four, uh, if you can believe it, at Penn State. This will be three of four recruiting cycles where he has brought in multiple top tier running back prospects. The one exception was when he went and got John Lovett out of Baylor instead of signing a high school player. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's been really impressive to see how that running back group has grown. And there's no doubt about it. Last year, this time last year, you're talking about Penn State, maybe the best backfield in college football. Right now, you look at the guys collectively and you kind of look at the numbers that are coming off of last year. And, Uh, externally, nationally, you may not say this is one of the best running back rooms, but knowing what we know and, and kind of the past that have led each of these players here, Certainly has that potential to be uh, one of the best in the country. If, you know, it, it, we'll see. They've got to go out there, and and we've learned football is a way of teaching you this. And here at Penn State, I know you've seen it plenty in, in in the last decade or so. An offensive line is very important to what your running backs can accomplish. And there weren't a lot of surprises on that practice field for us. I, I think that's a good thing. There was no like surprising absence or or, or you know uh, anything like that. You saw the bookend offensive tackles that Penn State's very excited about. Rasheed Walker on the left side, Kaden Wallace on the right side. Mike Miranda's played a lot of football for this team as a guard. He's now working at center, as he has all season, replacing uh, Michael Mennett there. Uh, And then at right guard, a guy that I know you, me, Sean, and just about everybody who follows Penn State football is really excited to see what he can do as a first-teamer, Juice Scruggs, uh, who looks really, really impressive considering what he has dealt with during his college career. The left guard spot is the interesting one. It's what we have circled for a while now, um, you see Anthony Wigan, his third year now out of Lackawanna College, uh, Eric Wilson, who just came in from Harvard a few months ago, and Dez Holmes, who's played some tackle, played some guard, not available in the spring. Those are the three names that stand out with that left guard spot, because if, if they can put that together and find the right piece, someone who's going to be effective, got to keep everybody healthy. But that really could have the makings of, of, of an impressive offensive line coming off of a full offseason with Phil Troutline.
1: Yeah, I really think the linchpin of that whole thing could be Juice Scruggs, you, you know? And I know that may sound weird for, for a, a right guard, uh, but just to have stability at at, the, at at least two of those interior positions. And I think the fact that last year they spotted Juice, they gave him snaps in key positions. I mean, when Penn State was in the shadow of its own goalpost, now he didn't play a lot because they had to be careful with his conditioning and whatnot but now you see him and, you know, I talked to him at, uh, at media day, he said he's up to three fifteen. Mm. He was down to two six two sixty uh, after the accident that he was in and boy, to see him come back. And again, another guy who we talked to him last year, didn't really seem to have that confidence. He seems to have that confidence now and knows that he's, he's kind of, he's a good player, but I think, you know, what you have in your bookend tackles. I think, you know, what you have in Miranda, right? I mean, he's, He's been a guy who's been around and he's bumping over, but I think he's going to be a quality center for you. So I think Juice, if he's able to step up, and then you're going to get somebody will emerge at that other guard spot. There's enough people in the mix there that somebody will emerge, but I think Juice is a real key for them.
0: Yeah, left guard. It's not like you're looking at this competition. You're like, I wish there was someone else there. If you're Penn State, I think you're looking at it and you like those three names. I think Des Holmes has a lot to prove. And unfortunately he wasn't available. It felt like if there was ever a time for him to miss action, this spring was the worst for him to miss action. But Anthony Wiggins, an interesting one, because unlike a guy like Brisker who came to campus and made an impact right away, yeah. he came, he came with Brisker a couple of years ago and we just haven't heard from him. Right. So, so that's somebody that. Yeah, that a Juco that, guy. So people know. Yeah. Yeah. Out of Lackawanna. And then Eric right. Wilson was an all Ivy league guard at Harvard, but they didn't play last year so you know he's got one year to work with here at Penn State really interesting to see what happens at left guard we'll be watching that one closely Uh, by the way Landon Tangwall who because of Nate Bruce leaving the program just a couple months ago is the only freshman lineman on scholarship with this team starting off at tackle right now in his, his college career at least to begin this preseason camp in the small portion we saw If you've listened to the show, you've heard from Landon a few times, and we've been talking for a while. We could see him break through the starting lineup at some point in his career at guard, at tackle, at both. Who knows? But right now we see him on the perimeter. um, And and that's about, I think, all we have to share in the offensive line. Over in the defensive backfield, Mark, I mean, we talked about the depth at, at cornerback. At safety, you know, will we see, speaking of Lackawanna, two products from that program starting next to each other at safety, Jair Brown, uh, Jaquan Brisker, both very (laughs) emotionally invested on the practice field when we saw action out there, which was fun. Uh, Some competition heating up. Jonathan Sutherland's cross training with Sam Linebacker. What does that mean for for him in year five? How far does Keaton Ellis come along in a short time at safety? Is Tyler Rudolph going to be able to build on a positive spring I ask all these questions because, again, if you are not comfortable and confident in that safety next to a preseason All-American pick by some people in Jaquan Brisker, that could set you up for some backbreaking coverage lapses. Uh, you know, you you just view this spot maybe kind of how I view left guard. If you find the right guy, it could just take this defensive backfield to a completely different level.
1: Sorry, Tyler. I dropped off there for a second. I don't gotcha know what <laughs> happened, but I am I am back. I returned. But that, yeah, to me, that's the key position in the secondary. And I think if you look at last year, uh, with all due respect to Lamont Wade, I mean, he struggled. He he didn't have a you know he struggled at times last year in coverage, especially. So if you're able to get a Brown or a Keaton Ellis who's able to step up and be good in run support and in coverage. That is a perfect complement to what you have, obviously, in Brisker. So that is uh, key possession at cornerback. They're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, as, as as Prime mentioned, it's as deep as they've been at cornerback, uh, and they have enough people that they're going to be able to rotate people through. Uh, but if they're able to settle on, not even settle, I think you could, if you have a good, you, ideally, I think you'd have a good three man rotation. The best Penn State secondaries we've seen have had a good three man rotation at safety, and I think they. Now we'll see, you know, Brown looked really good when in, in spots when we, when we saw him last year. Yeah. And uh, Ellis is at a new position, and I think he has the tools to do it. But it's one of those things where, listen, we're going to know when they go out to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, maybe not defending the pass as much out at Wisconsin, but if, are they able to handle things against the run? But yeah, to me, again, I'll do respect to Lamont Wade, but I thought that was – He ended up being a little bit of a weak point for them last year in the secondary.
0: Well, I thought Wade was was much better as a safety back deep last year than he was in slot coverage as a star. I don't think that's really a a debatable point. And thus, we saw Daquan Hardy. Uh, Don't forget Daquan Hardy, who was probably going to play in the MAC conference. Uh, Ends up getting that late offer from Penn State right before signing day 2019. Gets to campus at 160 pounds. He's 180 pounds now. He was really the star. He He was covering the slot last year down the stretch. When, when they were playing their best football. Now, can't get over the fact that he's 5'9". He, he's 180 now, but that is always going to be the case. He's always going to be an undersized guy. That's why, despite having a, an amazing high school career in the Pittsburgh area, he didn't have a bunch of power five offers. So my question is, can he hold off the pack or does a guy like John Dixon, who's been on campus now for eight months and has a lot of experience for coming from South Carolina, does he kind of factor in there? I, I, I'm very, very curious. I think it's you know AJ Litton. I don't know what to make of him coming out of Florida state because he didn't come directly from Florida state. He spent last year at a community college. So not playing live football since 2019, not joining this roster until the summer don't love that for his 2021 outlook, but you're right. I mean, th- these are just other names to throw on the pile of names at cornerback. Um, over on special teams, you know, I, 42 and in, it's pin, 43 and out, it's Stout. That's what we heard from from Joe Lorig, the special teams coordinator, about the philosophy last year. I know this method drives some people crazy. Uh, Jordan Stout being the long-range guy and then Pinnaker handling everything inside and extra points. That is still be to, to be determined. It was a good outing for that group when we saw them and during a small period, everything was within like thirty five yards. We did see Sanders Sahadak, who was the number one kicker in twenty four seven Sports rankings for this past recruiting class. He is, if possible, even lankier than his six foot, one hundred and sixty pound frame would suggest. But that ball just jumps off of uh, off of his foot. And You can see why he is a power five kicking prospect, um, a, a guy to kind of file away. And then fielding kickoffs, we didn't see any punt fielding. I don't I don't believe during our time. Yeah, we,
1: there was there oh, was there was and okay. I, yeah, and it was it was who you might imagine. I mean, it was Dotson, it was Wilson. It was Washington. That's right. It was, uh, um, there's a couple other guys, but it it was, it was, there was no, nobody in there that jumped. Oh, Kalen King was back there Mm, as well, which was pretty interesting. So that was the one interesting guy.
0: I was over by the defensive lineman when, when the specialists were were doing all that stuff. And in and, and that area, I got a good look at the kick return situation. So basically it was the entire running back room. It was Washington. It was Dotson. The only non-offensive player there was Jaquan Brisker. And I know that's a role that he personally has has been making a case for. So Brisker at least getting some reps. Uh, although this was more of a they were looking at uh, you know touchback situations, when to take a knee, when to bring the ball out of the end zone, all that kind of stuff. So it's not like we got to see a full action. A lot of w- the work we saw was individual drills. A lot of the work we saw w- was slow paced instructional kind of stuff, which you'd expect from practice period. Number two, we are planning to be back on the practice field on Wednesday. Um, so it'll be a few days down the road and maybe speed will be a little bit more um, on the, on that field when we, when we get out there again.
1: Yeah, you know what I liked uh, about the uh, the kick return team, and I don't know if you had a chance to see it because we were there. Things were going on on different areas of the field, so understandably, the two of us don't sit and watch the same thing. That wouldn't seem we kind of divide and conquer.
0: Well, and, but, you're not, and you're not the only Brennan with eyeballs out there. Yeah, Let's not so that. we
1: had the the intern was out there as well, but I thought it was cool that you know they typically have the. Uh, the tight ends are the up guys usually on the kickoff return team uh but they also had jesse lucchetta in there and ak was in there as well so to see those guys fielding the short kickoffs was cool and then guess who else was there tyler tank you know you read <laughs> it tank smith was back there listen if that guy is able to get some snaps out there or get to get some special teams play it's going to be really cool for people who don't know he's a uh, a Pittsburgh guy, uh, running back, five seven, two twenty. Hence the name Tank. But from all indications, he is beloved among that team. Scored a touchdown, right? Didn't he in the spring game?
0: Yeah, yeah. And then I think, I mean, he's the guy that clearly there's a lot of running backs. We just talked about that, but he's a guy that you're looking at. If it gets out of hand against Villanova in September, can we get some tank in there? Right? Like you want to see Tank Smith get involved. The crowd. But what will about love on it.
1: special teams? I mean, seriously, oh, yeah, is there yeah, an I opportunity? I don't know. I mean, it w- listen, if he's able to get in there and throw some blocks and stuff. So I just know that was one thing that I look when you see a walk on like that who you know is not going to have a, a, a much of an opportunity to play in a loaded backup in a loaded running back room to, to have them him even involved out there in that sort of thing I, I think it just sends a great message to the entire team that listen if you work I, they don't care what the depth chart is like you know they're going to at least give you a look at some different areas and I think listen I'm going to be when, when the season rolls around, if they're able to roll him out there on, uh, yeah, I think you're going to hear people in the press box going to be pretty fun. We're
0: going to be happy to see that five foot seven, 225 pounds. You could tell me he's 235. I believe you. And, and by the way, from a Penn state football family, he's the nephew of Terry Smith, uh, former Penn state player. Now the cornerbacks coach, a uh, cousin of Justin King, uh, his grandfather attended Penn state. So cool story to monitor there more tank Smith talk than I thought we'd get to on this episode, but to be honest, whenever Tank Smith gets mentioned, it ends up being like a three-minute conversation. So yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's get to that eyeball test because – because okay, let's say this. Eyeball test does not mean these guys are going to be impact performers in 2021 on the football field. Eyeball test means, whoa, we got a chance to see them in pads for the first time in a long time. And I wrote this name down because it looked real good. And can I just start with the obvious? Defensive tackle, Fatorma Mulba, year number two. You posted something about all the ridiculous strength numbers he was posting this offseason. I think Tariq Castro-Fields told me at Big Ten Media Days, it was hard to take your eyes off Mulba in the weight room. (laughs) If he puts it together, this is a wrecking ball in the interior defensive line.
1: Yeah, I mean, what is he, 6'3 and 300 pounds? But, you know, when you talk about a tank, I mean, this guy could be named, you know, I don't know what, what the newest (laughs) tank is, but I mean, he is absolutely uh, put together and it was actually pretty cool because they're for people who don't know uh, they're letting us into the beginning of practice now, which is giving us a look at some different things than maybe we would have seen in the past. And one of them was defensive line, individual drills and some special teams work. And if you haven't seen it on the site, you know, go check it out. Uh, John Scott working with MOBA. He's super strong But he's got to work on that technique. So I don't think he's a guy they absolutely need to be a key guy this year. He could be a backup at D-Tackle. Still only 18 years old. I mean, this guy isn't even 19 years old yet, Tyler. He doesn't turn 19 until September. So he's got a huge upside and a lot of room to grow. Uh, Already second on the team big board with 675, I want to say, that he squatted. As an 18-year-old, so you can only imagine where, and that's among all players, not just offensive linemen, so you can only imagine where
0: he's going to go, but yeah, he is absolutely put together. I mentioned Smith-Vilbert and Rodney McGraw, defensive ends, just looking massive, standing alongside each other. I think McGraw has longer to go. He just got to campus not too long ago. But probably a great thing that I'm mentioning him in this conversation, Smith-Vilbert, you're going to need to see him factor in a defensive end. But can we just stay at defensive line? And and it's not quite the eyeball test. Maybe it's the maybe it's the ear test because John Scott Jr., different vibes from the defensive line coach of the Denton Lions than we have experienced in our encounters with him since he was hired – you know, right before the pandemic
1: hit. Yeah, that's the beauty of being able to see practice. Though, I mean, guys are different with us when we talk on a Zoom than they are with their players. And, and it's shocking. What, yeah, what the sense of humor he showed in in the video that we posted was unbelievable. I mean, for Molba, he's like, you know, you're a furniture mover's dream. <laughs> you know, you can you're so big and you can move stuff. And then they had a a, a student assistant uh named Daniel who was trying to hold a a blocking pad and nearly got blown out and uh, he just laughed and said, uh, you know, Scott is like, Daniel, you know, nothing against you, but we need to get somebody a little taller out there. You would be great on the IM team at Penn state, but we just need to get, you know, I love you, Daniel, but we need to get somebody. So just to see that a coach using humor, you know, while working with with MOBA, while dealing with, uh, you know, some of the other young uh, defensive linemen and even one of the student assistants was, was pretty cool to see. And it's what, one of the things we miss not being able to be a practice. And I'm not being critical. We obviously want
0: to practice for a reason, but to be back is really cool. And and by the way, you you tack that on to a July in which Penn State loaded up on some really talented defensive line prospects. Uh, It's been a good summer for John Scott Jr. who, you know, we've seen Taylor Stubblefield as the wide receivers coach really rewrite the narrative on, on who he is since he got to Penn State, at least in the eyes of Nittany Lions fans. John Scott Jr., you're going to have to see it translate on the football field and have a strong season from that defensive front. But working his way in the right direction, that's very clear. Uh, On the offensive line, two two names that I wrote down and really isn't a shock right now with Caden Wallace, but I've just been so impressed on his physical development since he he was already a a top 24-7 prospect, may have been a top 100 prospect when I saw him before his high school senior season. But he was just kind of, he was big in a way that's not going to hold up in high school. It's big in a way that you're going to have to transform your body and lose time because you're under this developmental bubble and it might take you two years at the college level to, to be ready. Instead, he got a head start the senior year, cut a ton of bad weight, by the time he was through his freshman year, he had added on a bunch of weight that was good, and now here he is, 6'5", 323 pounds. I know we want to talk about Rashid Walker, and for all the right reasons, he very well may emerge as the first-round prospect that Penn State has dreamed of at the offensive line. Uh, it's been a long time since they produced a guy uh, who, who kind of got that kind of NFL draft love, but – Caden Wallace, to me, I mean, you talk about where it could go in year one as a starter. It's exciting when you look at the size. And then Olu Fashano, who looks like he's going to be at least in a pretty good spot to start camp to be on the two-deep at tackle also stood out to me. Uh, wearing number 74 out there, Mark. He's in year number two. They signed five offensive linemen last year. We've got to figure out who these guys are. We got a ways to go doing that. But I'll tell you right now, Olu Fashano has, has really, really come a long way physically since we last got a look at him when he was at Gonzaga High School down in the DC area.
1: Yeah, and he's uh he's tall and and almost lean. Uh yeah, I think he could get even bigger. Uh, you know, I'm gonna go back to Juice though, and I, I'm sorry to be repetitive, but it was stunning how big this guy was compared to, listen, he was still around the program after his uh, car accident. And we saw him, you know, with a back brace and stuff. Uh, But, but to, to put on the weight he has and do it in such a good way, it's, you know, kind of the opposite of what you're saying with Caden Wallace, you know, he went from being really kind of, you know, quote unquote, thin, if 260 pounds is thin uh, to just carrying it extremely, extremely well. And I'll tell you, you know, one guy, I don't know how he's going to factor in, but I was surprised. I mean, Jimmy Crist is every bit of six foot seven. Now, he's he's another guy who still has to fill out, but you can see a frame there that maybe in a couple years, you know, does he turn out? those offensive linemen in general? Those young O-linemen, you know, even guys that we're probably not going to see, uh, they are some big, some some big, big boys on that depth chart.
0: Chris that tackle Fashanu at tackle Tangwa at tackle gonna be fun to watch how that gets sorted out and not just this year but the years ahead and, and Bryce Efner, by the way uh, in his fourth year also working at offensive tackle uh, on Saturday um, I, I, obviously Theo Johnson just he looks like he needs to be in an NFL training camp the way he is physically put together you you tack that onto the fact that he set a program record on the big board beat out Mike Isiky for the fastest forty yard dash time um, among tight ends here at Penn State. I mean, he is there physically. He's fast. And yet, Bretton Strange also, I mean, he's almost unrecognizable from his freshman year. That tight end room to me is like, you know, you're looking for evidence of what Dwight Galt does. Take a look at that tight end room. Ty Howell's a new coach there. But man, he's got the ingredients.
1: Yeah, I mean, Theo, it's difficult to understand how large he is unless you stand next to him or you're down there on the field you know, I, I actually saw him at a couple of, or at a, uh, a press event, uh, in the off season. And, you know, he walked right by me and I'm like, Whoa, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily a small human being, but you know, this guy is, is it's, it's unbelievable how tall he is when you're next to him. And he's six, six, and they have him at two fifty six, and he's every bit of six foot six. And I got to tell you, you know, we heard a lot about Tyler Warren. He is a, he's, he's put together as well. So, you know, when James Franklin talks about them being as deep as they've been at tight end since he's been here, that's really saying something. When you think about some of the players they've had with the, you know, Gasicki's, I think Jesse James was at the end of his run. The guy, that guy, uh, yeah. A guy named Pat Friermuth. Now I guess what Franklin's getting at is they've never had, you know, multiple uh, you know, I get. You know, Carter was was banged up for a lot of the end of his career, but for him to say this is as deep as they've been, yeah. And I think they're going to be able to do some fun things with that, that group. I mean, maybe yeah. use some at fullback a little bit. I don't know. We'll see.
0: Yeah, a little H back involvement, and and we have seen. Um, you know, Nick Bowers did a really nice job uh, supplying that number two punch to Pat Fryermuth early in his career. But yeah, this can definitely be at a different level. You talk about uh, Theo Johnson and, and Brenton Strange and and, and Tyler Warren. How did you see factor in? By the way, Khalil Dinkins on a lot of college campuses with their tight ends, you'd be like, okay, that freshman's looking pretty good. But at six foot four, two 226, he was like an extra lanky uh, with those other guys out there. Yep. But, but oh, by the way, he's he's a four-star who they signed at tight end. Much like the running back room, it feels like there's a, just con- continuous flow of, of blue chip talent. Um, Chris Stoll, uh, the long snapper, this is strictly from a facial hair perspective. He stood out to me. And that's the bottom of my list. I figured we'd have some fun with that one. If you've got any other names to throw out, have at it, but I think we just covered a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I think Malik Mega, the uh, receiver. Now, I, you know how much of an impact is he going to make? I don't know, but you know he, you know he still may be a little bit off, uh, but they have him at 6'4", 200 and he is just a big kid and really put together. So we're talking eyeball tests and uh, Tangelo, the the uh, Duke the, transfer. the transfer from yeah. Duke. Yeah, he is now. I know that's maybe a little different because people have seen him. But he he's is like
0: square a square shaped. He's like square shaped. I yeah, swear.
1: but it, it's like he's a guy that you see him, and it's like, okay, yeah, defensive tackle. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Run mm-hmm. stuffer. He's he could get in there and be. I think he's going to be a, a nice impact player for them this year. Don't know if he'll start, but he's going to be a guy who comes in and is able to do some good things. And obviously, you know, this may be too obvious, but PJ Mustafer, you mm-hmm. know, is has the look of a of a big time defensive tackle. He's not exactly sculpted. But if you look at the NFL, you know, outside of an Aaron Donald or some of those smaller D tackles, not all those guys, are, but but yeah, P.J. Mustafer really carrying himself well. He's
0: about 20 pounds heavier than where he was last year. I think that's going to really help him. Brent Pry loves the way he's carrying that weight. So does John Scott Jr. And it just feels like for a top 100 prospect coming in with that 2018 recruiting class. PJ's played a lot of football. We just haven't seen him at that kind of a performance level. This feels like maybe the year that he may take the step, but really where Penn state could benefit so greatly because of the lack of experience up front. he he's going to be a team captain. I would be stunned if he's not a team captain. And, and you're right. He is, looks every bit the part of a guy you want leading your team off the bus uh, for a road matchup. And uh, coaches poll, by the way, is out. This happened right before we recorded. I wanted to to get this. Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Georgia are are the top five in that order. Penn State is in that mixed, Mark, uh, number 20 overall elsewhere in the Big Ten. Wisconsin is number 15. Indiana is number 17. Iowa is number 18. So Penn State will play all four of these other ranked opponents. Uh, When you're looking at the others receiving vote, You'd you have Northwestern at 27, Michigan, and a big year for Jim Harbaugh starting out all the way down at 33, and then Auburn coming to town out of the SEC in Week Three. Technically, they are number 29 uh, right now. So the coaches poll, to be honest, doesn't really carry as much clout as the AP poll. I think a lot of people look at it with with cross eyes, and 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 you understand why, but it's the coach's poll time and, and that just dropped. So that tells you that we're inching closer to the season. Uh, that's where that is. Now you can check out the entire uh, top 25 up on lines 24 seven. And by the way, apply your own eyeball test, Mark and, and Grace Brennan, a bunch of photos up from the practice field and from media day for guys that we haven't seen in too long. Last part of the podcast here is the five-star mailbag, Mark, and bringing you one that, that I think is right in your wheelhouse because you spent so much time talking about the eye-popping testing numbers of this offseason for Penn State. James Franklin actually referenced this as well. Here's the question. Now that you've seen them in person, how does this Penn State team compare physically to recent seasons? I'm going to pass this to you because you dove into the numbers, but I will start with this. James Franklin told us that he feels this is the fastest Biggest, strongest team they have had during his time at Penn State. They they are either leading in all those categories, or there is a case to be made in all those categories. And this is year number eight for James Franklin.
1: Yeah, I think uh, he's gotten to where he he wants things to to, to kind of be. Now, is it going? We're we going to see that the uh, the benefits of that on the field. That's what this season is going to be about. But this is most definitely. I've been covering this team since the the late eighties, mid to late eighties this is by far the biggest Penn State team I've ever seen. And even, you know, obviously it's going to be bigger than the 1980s teams. But I mean, the biggest, I think even when you compare it to other teams of, of, you know, like the 94 team had a huge offensive line for 1994. This team is, I mean, when you look at the offensive linemen and you look at the defensive linemen, they are gigantic and they're athletic. So I think they've gotten to where they need there, and then yeah, I mean I think you only need look at the the, the big board and see where a guy like Dotson, mm. you know, he's how many years into it? He, this is fourth year. I mean, yeah, or third year, four whatever. Yeah, this is senior year,
0: folks. If you miss this, four three three for Dotson right. on that big board from this year. It's a twenty twenty one forty yard dash. So, but <laughs> what does that tell you? That's incredible,
1: right? But what 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 that Dwight tells Dull. you is. Yeah, here's a guy who, you know, could have gone and, and would have likely been maybe, what, a third round, fourth round NFL draft pick. Mm. He decides to come back in part to improve his draft stock, and he gets after it and jumps up to near the top of that board. I mean, that's, like, uh, unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're you're looking at the biggest, most athletic Penn State team that they've had. Now, d- does that translate into wins? We're going to have to see. I think ideally it would, but you also have to have guys who know how to produce in the clutch. You also have to have strong quarterback play. You also have to have uh, outstanding special teams play. It's not all about just size and strength and speed. That's a big part of it, but part of it is a big a big part of it as well is guys who are able to get things done in the clutch. You know, you could look back and say that um, the, the teams with Saquon Barkley, you know, how great were they? They were tremendous in part because Saquon Barkley was a tremendous athlete and tremendous player, but they were also really good because you had a trace McSorley and that's not taking away from Saquon, but you had an unbelievable quarterback who knew how to keep a team in position to win games at the end where guys could do what they needed to do. So yeah, the eyeball test, this is the best eyeball test team Penn state has ever had, but they have to show that they're able to get things done in a clutch because Frankly, at times last year, they didn't. They were a pretty impressive looking team last year, and they didn't always get it done in the clutch. So it's one thing to look great. It's one thing to have the team that looks the best coming off the bus. It's another thing to do it in clutch situations because, frankly, they lost games last year against teams they shouldn't have lost. They did, and I think they would be the first ones to admit that. So, yeah, to answer the question, as big, as fast, as strong as they've ever been, but
0: they have to turn that into wins. Franklin has the, the team that looks and moves like he has always wanted. He has the offensive right. coordinator that he has coveted. He's got a third-year starter at quarterback. <laughs> and uh by the way speaking of that quarterback 4-5-2, 40 yard dash that puts him ahead of McSorley Sean Clifford 452 i think that surprised a lot of people uh mark when when you posted that um so that's some of the, the i i'm complete with you and i was going to divert to you because you have covered this team uh you know for 3 Forever. plus for 3 plus decades so you have a far better feel uh, you know going back to 2017 uh, it's it's an easy choice for me this this team is different and we now that we've seen them in person you can confirm that but to your point, they gotta go out and they gotta score more points than the other team. And, and that's all that matters at the end of the day, more than these 40 yard dashes and vertical jumps and and, and squat uh, weights. So Mark. They're really, fun for
1: the offseason, though. They're fun for the offseason. <laughs> oh,
0: no doubt about it. And they give us kind of a you know a foundational jumping off point for some of these younger players and and the, and the progress they've made, or a guy like Jahan Dotson. And whoa, I mean, speed was a question mark. It was like a legitimate question mark, was like. Could he be fast enough to be a number one kind of wide receiver at the college football level coming out of high school? And now it's like, okay, if he runs that time in the 40-yard dash and matches that with production, there's a lot of people across the country right now. I've seen a bunch of top 10 wide receiver lists, not even top five, top 10 wide receiver lists that do not feature the name Jahan Dotson. Look out, look out, because we know about him here, and I think people are going to find out soon enough what he's all about. We will be back on the practice field on Wednesday, looking forward to that, Um, get some more availability. Uh, We're going to have Anthony Poindexter, the safeties coach for Penn State, first time we've had him since right after he was hired last winter, so a lot to catch up there regarding the competition. We'll have a couple players available as well. So, uh, Mark, it's it's preseason camp. We're coming up toward three weeks till kickoff, and and I love having you on for the conversation, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it.
1: Yeah, awesome. And hey, whenever I, you need to, to pull me off the bench, uh, I'm, I'm happy to pinch it whenever I can.
0: All right, Mark. Well, folks, we really appreciate you listening. The conversation will continue here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. Until then, follow us on lines247.com. Throw your five-star mailbag, question our way at Apple Podcasts, drop your five-star rating and review, and whatever question you have about this Nittany Lions squad, we'll do our best to get to it. On behalf of Mark, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you real soon.